every once in a while when I'm, when I'm preaching, there's, there's something that, that happens while I'm delivering the message. Um, I will say something, and I'll think there's not, something not quite right there, or that doesn't quite fully make sense, or I wonder how everyone out there is, is hearing it. And that happened to me last week as I was talking about the measure of our faithful witness. And I talked about how sometimes we, we put ourselves in comparison to someone like Billy Graham. And we think that maybe he's our measure of what it means to be a faithful witness. And, and I said that, that Billy Graham isn't our measure of what it means to be a faithful witness. Jesus is. And as I said that, I thought, okay, that's, that's right. But why is it that that gives us freedom? Because who's the higher standard? Jesus or Billy Graham? Jesus is. He's the perfect high standard. So why is it that when I said to you, hey, the call to be a faithful witness isn't to be like Billy, it's to be like Jesus, why did that set you free? Why did that perhaps give some weight off of your shoulders? There is freedom that comes to our spirit when we realize that Jesus is our measure and not some other person. Even though Jesus is the highest standard, that he is the measure that you and I cannot fully and completely reach, the idea that he is the measure sets us free. In the Christian life, there is this calling, this invitation to become like Jesus. And that calling, when we step into that kind of life and commit ourselves with the help of the Spirit to live in that kind of way, that the Holy Spirit sets us free because it is our calling in our deepest longing to be like Jesus. I think this is reflected in Jesus' teaching about the easy yoke from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, a yoke is not something that we typically talk about or think about in our day-to-day -day life, but for those of you who don't know, a yoke is a piece of farming equipment that joins two animals together to do the work of, of, of plowing the field. And it was placed on the back of these animals so that they would be united together to do the work uh, that the farmer had for them. In this verse, Jesus says to us to come and be to join together with him in the work that he is doing in the world. Join me and come with me at the pace that I have for you and for the work that you, I'm calling you to do. Join with me in the work that I have for you in your life. I know that many times I thought about these verses in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, as 
as this call to go away and to have a retreat with Jesus, to go and to be quiet with Jesus. It's this permission to come and to rest with him, and that's certainly part of this teaching. But the second half of this teaching is about a work that we're called to do together. It's about taking on the yoke of Jesus and sharing with him in the work that he is doing, in the pace that he is doing it, in the particular kind of work that he has for you. And when we take on his yoke, the promise is that our burden will be light. There's still a burden there. There's still responsibility. There's still some effort and still some work that's expected of us. But it's a light burden because it's the right burden for us. And so we're talking this fall about this calling that we have to be a faithful witness to Jesus. And this work of being a faithful witness to Jesus is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is at work in each of our lives, fitting us for our yoke, and fitting us and preparing us for the work that He has for us. So today we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to equip us to be faithful witnesses in the world. When it comes to our witness in the world, I think the work of the Holy Spirit can be summed up in a couple of ways. That first, the Holy Spirit is at work to transform our inner character. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does in our life to make us faithful witnesses is to transform our inner character, our heart, our mind, so that it is like the character of Christ, so that our life reflects his image. The second aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to empower us for our witness. The Spirit gifts us and empowers us to do the work that he's called us to do in the world. So these are the two ways. And a way to think about this is that the Holy Spirit is at work in our inner life, in our, in our heart, in our mind, in our character, and he is also at work um, enabling us to do the outward work that he's calling us to do. There's an inner work and an outer work that the Spirit is doing in us in order to make us faithful witnesses. So let's begin with this first idea that the Holy Spirit is at work transforming our inner character. The Holy Spirit is the one who is working to make our witness faithful. He puts the faithful in faithful witness. He's the one who's making us true to who Jesus is. Part of what it means to be a faithful witness to Jesus is simply to be like him, to reflect his character, to live a life that looks like his. And I want to submit to you that the most faithful witnesses are those men and women that look the most like Jesus. The most faithful witnesses are those men and women that look the most like Jesus. There may be men and women who are doing big and grand things in the world. Things that are very public, 
that get recognition, maybe that even have many converts. But the truth is, our outward, visible measures of success are not the way that God measures success. We talked about this last month when we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we talked about this call to be faithful always. And in Hebrews chapter 11, when the writer is talking about all of these amazing men and women of the faith, he gets to the end and he begins talking about this list of people who are faithful. And he says that some of these people who are faithful, they administered kingdoms and they conquered their enemies and they, they did all of these great things that were very noticed and visible by the whole world. And then there were other people in the very same breath that the writer says they, were, they, they, they crawled around and lived in holes in the ground. They were sawed in two. They were persecuted. That the world did not despise them, and the world was not worthy of them. The most faithful witnesses, it's not measured by how successful we are in the world's eyes. The most faithful witnesses to Jesus are those men and women who have become the most like him, whose lives reflect his life. And so I want to talk today a little bit about how the Spirit is at work to transform our inner character. In your curriculum for this week that you're going to be looking at in your small groups, you're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4, which are stories about the way that the Holy Spirit prepared Jesus for the ministry that he had, prepared Jesus to be a faithful witness. So turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. I'm going to walk through a few of these passages with you in the early chapters of Luke that talk about Jesus' own preparation to be the faithful witness that the Father intended for him. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is the story of Jesus' baptism. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit is at work transforming our identity, uh, transforming our character by giving us our identity. What Jesus learned at his baptism is that he was the beloved son of God. That was his identity. And what we need to remember about this story is that this comes in Luke chapter 3, not Luke chapter 23. It comes at Luke chapter 3, at the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus receives his identity as the Son of God before he went about healing anybody, before he taught anybody, before he was obedient to God through his death and resurrection. Before any of that, the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is not the way of the kingdom of the world. People only say, This well done, this is the one in whom I'm well pleased after the good work is over in the kingdom of the world, right? We tend to think that this should have been said at the end of Jesus' ministry. After he did all of those great things, then the Father would come and say, Well done, well pleased I am of you, my son. But that's not what happened. 
Jesus' identity was given to him before his ministry began. It was given to him before he, he served other people, before he did all of those wonderful things that Jesus did. And he did all of those things from that place, from that identity as the beloved son of the Father. He didn't do all of those things in order to earn his sonship. He did those things because he knew he was the son. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how these stories in Jesus' early life parallel our own transformation into the image of Jesus and how the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives as well. But let's continue to the next part of Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is after his baptism. Let's hear what happens to Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are, to become, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. This is a key point. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert. This was an important time in Jesus' life in the desert where he was being prepared to do the work that the Father called him to do. Being led into the desert wasn't an accident. He, he didn't wander there without the Spirit's guiding. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert, and it was that time of temptation and that time of trial that strengthened him and equipped him to do the work that he was called to do. And then we see in the, in the temptations of Jesus, the three temptations, that Jesus responded to those temptations by quoting the Scriptures back to the devil. Jesus overcame each of the three temptations in the wilderness because of his understanding of the scriptures. He had been transformed by the scriptures. He had been immersed in the scriptures and so there was ready to respond to the devil and those temptations. I want to suggest to you that there are parallels here in the way that the Holy Spirit was at work in Jesus' life. There are parallels here to our own life as well. First of all, we have been given the identity of children of God. That you are a son and a daughter of God. Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4 says the same thing. It says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Your identity as a son or daughter of God is a reality before you do anything for God. Do you believe that? I think that most of us don't. It's difficult for us to believe that we have been accepted through our faith in Jesus and that we are a son and daughter of God, members of his household. We don't have to earn that title. It's one that has been given to us by him. 
And so all of your work in the world, all of the ways that you enter into the world as a witness is to be done from your knowledge and understanding of your identity as a son or daughter of God. You don't do all of these things in order to gain his approval. You already have it through the faith, your faith in Jesus. You are already a child of God. The second way that the Spirit works to transform our character is to lead us through places of transformation. Jesus was led into the desert. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In our day-to-day lives, it is filled with trials. And sometimes those trials are big and enormous, soul-crushing kind of trials. And other times they're just the small irritations of life. We face trials of many kinds, James says. The Holy Spirit is at work in those trials, making you more like Jesus, developing perseverance in you, making you mature in Christ. We so often see our trials, our disappointments, our conflicts with other people as obstacles to really serving and growing with God. So we have a conflict with someone, some nagging person in our life, and we just think, if that person was out of my life, then I would be able to serve God better. We have some sort of temptation in our life, and we just think, if that temptation was removed, if God just got rid of it, then I would be able to serve God better. If this other desert experience, whatever it was, wasn't in my life, then I would be able to serve God better. We see trials as barriers and obstacles to becoming more like Jesus or serving him. But this is the exact opposite of what James says about our trials. It's the opposite of what we learn in Jesus' own story of being led by the Spirit into the desert. Our trials are not barriers. They are the very thing that the Holy Spirit is using to make us more like Jesus. The trial is not a barrier. It's not in the way of you getting to the real work of spiritual growth and walking with God. The obstacle, the difficulty, the trial, the conflict with that person, the desert experience that you're going to is the thing that God is using to make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. The third way that the Spirit works to transform our character is through the Spirit-inspired scriptures. Jesus grew up and he learned the scriptures. He came to know the written word of God so that in the moment of trial, he could stand. The scriptures have been inspired by the Holy Spirit so that when we read the scriptures, we come come to encounter God's word to us for our lives. The book of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it exposes our hearts down to uh, the the very core parts of, of who we are. So that when we open God's word, it exposes us, and it's a way that the Spirit works to transform us to be more like Christ. 
So these are three of the main ways. I could have listed many ways that the Holy Spirit works, but these are three of the main ways that God is at work in your inner life, transforming your character, your heart, and your mind, and your soul to make you more like Jesus. What we see also in Luke as we continue on is after the temptations, we read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is then sent into uh, the area of Galilee to go and to be the witness that God had called him to be. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 19. And just listen as I, as I read these verses about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus as he goes to be a witness in the area of Galilee and Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. After Jesus' baptism, after he was given the identity of the beloved Son of God, and after he was led by the Spirit into this desert experience of being tempted, after that, after those things, he was then said to have the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord was on him. It was those things that equipped him to do the work that the Father had called him to do. And it is the same with us. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you for the witness that you are called to do in the world. So I want to talk about that next. What is it that God empowers us to do as witnesses in the world? The first is that he gives gifts and he gives words. He gives gifts and he gives words. We, we talk about how a believer receives a gift of the Holy Spirit, some unique quality, some unique ability that the Holy Spirit gives in order to be a blessing to people around them. So the Spirit gives gifts. He also gives us words. Jesus told his disciples um, on the night before he, uh, before he was betrayed and before he died that When they have to give an account for their faith in him, that they shouldn't worry about what they are going to say, but that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will give them the words to say. And so the Spirit empowers us by giving us gifts, special abilities that we have to be a blessing to those around us, and by giving us words to say when we witness for him. Secondly, he directs us and he guides us. In the book of Acts, we watch over and over again as the Holy Spirit directs and disciples, directs his disciples to be his witnesses. It's the Holy Spirit that fills Peter and John and Stephen to stand in front of the Jewish leaders and to proclaim the gospel. 
It's the Holy Spirit that leads Philip to that Ethiopian eunuch so that the Philip and the eunuch can talk together so that Philip can share the gospel with him. It's the Spirit that gives Peter a vision to go and speak to Cornelius. It's the Spirit that guides Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas through their missionary journeys. The same guidance and direction is available to us today through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides and directs us. And I'm going to talk in a few minutes about how we live in step with the Spirit. And the third thing is what I want to spend some time with today. That the Holy Spirit empowers us for witness by helping us through our resistances. By helping us through our resistances. In the lives of the earliest disciples, we read in the book of Acts that they were hesitant, resistant to go. He told them before he ascended that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But biblical scholars, as they studied the book of Acts, that they've discovered that it was about 10 years from the time that they were in Jerusalem and Jesus ascended to heaven to the time that they actually began the Gentile mission. 10 years. 10 years. They were resistant and hesitant to go. I acknowledged last week that the idea of being a witness or this idea of of evangelism or sharing our faith or, or conversion that some of you, maybe most of you, maybe all of you have some resistance or some sort of baggage that you carry around because of that idea. We have some resistance to this idea. Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one. Am I the only one? I am. Okay. All right. Well, Sage. (laughs) So I want to talk today about our resistances in the way that the Holy Spirit can help us to walk through those resistances. The first thing I want to say to you, and this may come as a surprise, but this resistance to being a witness or sharing the gospel or or sharing your faith or whatever, whatever you have in your mind when you think about that, that that resistance might not necessarily be a bad thing. It actually may be there for a good reason. That you may be carrying around an expectation, a yoke that isn't yours to carry. Maybe you've been told that evangelism needs to be done in a certain way, and you've only seen it modeled in one way, and you don't feel gifted to do that. Or maybe you think that even that way might be misguided altogether. There may be some very good reasons for why you are resistant to the idea of being a witness. There may be some reasons, some resistances that you have in yourself that actually do need transformed by the Spirit. Maybe, maybe you are more concerned about what others think of you than what God thinks of you. Or maybe you feel ashamed of your faith or ashamed of Jesus for whatever reason. Those are things that need transformed in your life. But either way, whether you have a good and valid reason to be resistant to this idea of witness, or whether it's some sin or shortcoming or error in your life, either way, you are going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome and walk through that resistance. This resistance or hesitance or fear, I suggest to you, is an opportunity for prayer 
and for intimacy with God and for learning dependency in your life on his work, for his work in your life. Your resistance, your hesitancy to this idea is not something that you should ignore. It's not something that you need to punish yourself for. And it's not something that you should just grit your teeth and get through and do it anyway, even though you don't really want to. And usually that's what we do when we come up against something that we think we should be doing, but that we aren't doing for whatever reason. We feel ashamed about it. And when we feel ashamed or have some insecurity about something in our Christian life, especially when it means witnessing to others, we usually do one of two things. When we feel ashamed about it, we don't want to do it. We either just don't do it, or we grit our teeth and do it anyways, and we lack any joy in the work. And when we do that, I'm suggesting to you today that we're missing a vital step, an important step in learning to walk with God and learning to depend on his work in our life rather than your own effort and your own strength. If you are going to overcome whatever resistance it is in your life to being a witness for Christ, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. And that resistance that you are experiencing about being a witness is an opportunity for you to grow in your relationship of prayer and in your relationship with God. It's an opportunity for you to allow the Spirit to reveal things to you about yourself and to help to bring true and real transformation in your life so that this work of being a witness becomes a joy for you. And that is really the hope and the goal is that this would be a joy for you. And so here's what I want to suggest for your, small t- uh, for your small group sometime in the next week or two. Actually, what I want to do first is to just take a minute of silence, and I want you to write down what is the biggest resistance or hesitancy or fear that you have about being a witness for Jesus. And just write that down on, on a piece of paper. What is your biggest resistance or hesitancy or fear about being a witness for Jesus. So here was what I'd like to suggest. Small group leaders, listen up. It was what I'd like for you to do in the next week or two. That each of you take what you have written down and to simply share it, to be honest with yourself and with your small group and with God about whatever is your biggest resistance to being a witness to Jesus. And that together as a small group, that you would come together and ask God about what this resistance is all about and what God is seeking to teach you about yourself and about himself through it. Maybe he's wanting to reveal reveal to you that you have put on a yoke that you're not supposed to carry. That whatever idea you have about witnessing and evangelism is, is a yoke that God hasn't given to you. Or maybe it's to reveal to you a new way or an opportunity to witness that you've never considered before. Or maybe the Spirit is wanting to work in your life to overcome your need to be liked and approved by other people. What is it that the Spirit wants to do in your life to help you overcome this resistance? Rather than you just ignoring the resistance, pretending it isn't there, or recognizing it's there and so you don't do it at all, or just gritting your teeth and not having any joy in the work, 
let's pay attention to why that resistance and that hesitancy is there and ask God to come and help you with it. And let's see what the Spirit does. Okay, the last thing that I want to talk about today is how we are to be people who live in step with the Spirit. How we be a people who live in step with the Spirit. And there's just four things very quickly as we finish today. First is that we need to be a people who live in dependency and prayer. People who live in dependency and prayer. We walk outside of the Spirit when we walk in our own strength, when we walk in our own ability, and when we live a life of prayerlessness. And we live in step in the Spirit when we live a life of prayer. Because prayer is the acknowledgement, it's the act that says, God, I am dependent on you. I need you for this thing. I need you for this day. I need you. It's the act of dependency, and it's the first step in walking with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is I want to encourage you to give priority to your own transformation into the image of Jesus. That you would learn to understand your identity as a child of God. That you would pay attention to your trials as a place where God is at work in your life, making you more like Jesus. And that you would be people who remain immersed, attached to the Spirit-inspired scriptures. Your own transformation, if you are going to be a faithful witness, your own transformation, your own walk with God needs to be your first priority. The third thing, as I just talked about, is to um, identify your resistances, identify those resistances, and be honest with them, with yourself, and with God. And fourth is simply to take the next step, to say yes to God, to put on the yoke that Jesus has for you. What is the next step that you need to take and being a faithful witness, and seek to take it in this next week. And I want to encourage you to start easy. To start with a brother or sister in Christ and learning how to share your story. Start with your kids, telling them about who they are. We heard today from our brother Eric that it was his mother and her words in his life that planted the seeds for his decision today. So start with your kids and being a witness to them. Or the evangelism team, when they go out, just go on a morning with them and simply watch what it is that they do and begin to learn from them. Take some easy step. Don't take the hardest step first. Take an easy step first. And trust that the Holy Spirit is up to something in your life and in the life of other people that you aren't aware of and that he wants to work through you to make himself known to them. Let's pray. But we thank you for the work of your spirit in our life, first of all, to transform our inner lives, to make us more like Jesus. And thank you for the spirit's work in empowering us and enabling us to go and to be a faithful witness. Lord, I pray that we would submit to you, that we would open our lives to you, that we would open up our hearts to you and allow you to do whatever work you want to do in us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.